everybody. Welcome on back to King of the Ride podcast. Ted King here, your host. As always, you are in store for what I think is going to be a really great show. We've got bikes, we've got brews, frozen yogurt, inflatable beer pong tables, and entrepreneurship. We've got all of that on tap. Yep, today is definitely going to be a good one. As you may recall, back in the early days of King of the Ride podcast, I was considering naming this show Ted's Talk. It's me, it's Ted, possessive, not plural, not multiple Ted's. It's me conversing, listening, and talking with some really interesting guests, much like today's guest, Drew Harrington. But then not wanting to butt heads with our friends over at TED Talks, I opted for a name change. As this show has progressed over its three-month history, it started very bicycle-heavy, but more and more we're stepping away from pure cyclists, although I should note I'm heading up to Canada next week for the Grand Prix Montreal and Quebec City, so I should find some time with some top-notch pros. We got Lawson Craddock already lined up, among others. I digress. So using the common thread of the bicycle woven through our guests' lives. We had the perpetually upbeat professional race car driver, Scott Speed. We had the comic disguised as Wall Street Journal writer, Jason Gay, just most recently. And today's guest, Drew Harrington, fits that same bicycle woven thread. Drew is the co-founder of Yasso Greek Frozen Yogurt. In less than a decade, Drew and his co-founder, Amanda, have grown this into a staggering business well north of $50 million that they were doing just two years ago, all entirely done with a great set of ethos at their foundation there at Yasso. So think of today as a bicycle-inspired How I Built This, one of my favorite podcasts out there. And as someone who's building a business from the ground up myself with Untapped, I should say myself and my excellent partners at Untapped, Drew has a wealth of knowledge and experience that he's very keen and generous enough to share in today's show. So trust me, even if you're dairy-free, even if you don't like dessert, if you don't like sugar, if you don't like delicious food, you're still going to love this podcast, including the entertaining interruption by a dozen five-year-olds late in the show. Definitely stay tuned for that. And now a quick plug, if I may. Drew and I chat about how we met three or four years ago. And how we've built that friendship over the time with Drew and Yasso bringing together a very noteworthy team for the King Challenge. The King Challenge, of course, is my benefit ride that raises considerable funds for the Crumple Center. That's an organization near where my folks live in southern New Hampshire. It's It's a facility and organization for adults living with brain injury. So as some of you may know, my dad had a stroke 15 years ago, which for me is crazy to think about because there's plenty of days where quite honestly, it feels like just yesterday. The Kremble Center has been instrumental in him being welcomed back into his new sense of norm with a brain injury. It's an incredible organization. The, The King Challenge is coming up just around the corner. The calendar now reads Labor Day. We're right after Labor Day. We're going to launch this on Labor Day. The leaves here in New England are starting to change. Summer's thick humidity is starting to crack. The King Challenge, which you can find at www.kingchallenge.org, is Saturday, October 20th this year. Foliage will be peaking. We are now in our eighth year. We are zeroing in on $1 million raised for the Kremble Center. Last year, we had Tim Johnson... We've had plenty of noteworthy pros. Ian Boswell was there just last year. We always have the Cannondale EF Dropic Team RV. We have plenty of heavy hitters, and we still have a huge family turnout. More than anything, this is just a fun ride. It is not a race. It's a total family event. There's a kid's ride going on. There's a 10-mile ride, a 30-mile option, or a 62-mile option. A small smattering of gravel is thrown in there for good measure. Please be sure to check it all out again at kingchallenge.org. I know Drew and I would both love to head out on a ride with you. So that is it for now, folks. 
I thank you again for, for all of those who have left reviews. I can't tell you how important those are. It takes just 30 seconds. Heck, you can do it right now. Be it in iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, please shoot me any questions, comments, anything you want me to know or see or do. All things I am Ted King on social media. Thank you very much and please enjoy today's show. Outstanding. What is the first one I've done with headphones? You typically have headphones on? Yeah. We don't have a sound studio. What do you need headphones for? No, I know, but it just kind of makes you feel like you're in the driver's seat. Uh huh. Feel a little naked right now, but it's okay. That's what I'm going for. Well, <laughs> we like to keep things loose up here, and that's why we just wrapped up a beautiful one hour, one hour and 15 minute ride on the gravel roads of Stowe, Vermont. Here we are at the epicenter of where rides start. We got the bike path. We got a coffee shop across the street. We got downtown Stowe. I'm just setting the scene for our listeners. Um, Drew Harrington, you've been coming to Stowe for your entire life. That's correct. What do you notice about this town? What's changed? What's the same? I've been coming here since I was a baby. My parents came here 32 years ago, took out a timeshare and raised their five kids coming here for one or two weeks in the summer. And, uh, for me, at first, it was a place where I would just kind of explore the outdoors, go on the bike path, go to the swimming hole. I think in the past 10 years as an adult, what I've seen is just uh, more vibrancy to the town in the sense of the culinary scene, a lot of new restaurants, a lot of new bars, some small breweries popping up and uh, bike riding, of course. Uh, but it's pretty fun to kind of be part of this new generation that's coming in with their families and bringing them here on vacation and seeing that happen. So I've definitely seen that on Main Street and then on the ride today, just being up near the trap and seeing the new brewery up there. It's pretty cool. It is cool. It's a freaking beautiful day. Blue sky. We, uh, I guess it, it sort of shocks me having recently moved here and therefore spending a lot more time here. People talk about how, how Vermont is an aging state and I get that. Yeah. By demographics, it is the town we're moving to. The average age is 38 in Richmond. That to me sounds young. Mm-hmm. And the number of young people, like this place has become this magnet for, for, the outdoor vibrancy, the ski scene here is outstanding. The mountain bike scene is growing and out of this world, how good the trails are. It's naturally loaded with all sorts of gravel riding. Uh, I freaking love it. <laughs> I think, I think I need to reach out to the Vermont tourism board and get sponsored by them. I think you should. <laughs> so, okay. What I've been thinking lately, this podcast, um, you know, largely the thread that, it, that, that ties all my guests together is the bicycle. We, I'd like to branch out, and that's why I have you on the show today. This is going to be something of a bicycle meets how I built this podcast. Are you a podcast listener? I am. Do you know how I built this? I do. Have you been Have you been featured on the show yet? I have not. Uh, yeah. Have, has anybody reached out to say we'd like to do a show on you? I don't believe so. Because Drew Harrington, co-founder and co-owner of Yasso... Greek frozen yogurt, um, not a flash in the pan kind of business. You you started in what, 2009? 2009, we came up with the idea and we started selling in stores in 2011, my business partner and a childhood best friend, Amanda Klein and myself. Uh-huh. And you're, you've caught the attention of a lot of folks and, and you're growing like freaking gangbusters. Um what I was looking at, I don't know how you hold on to these stats. I was doing a little research on you. 2016, you'd done 
fifty million dollars in revenue. This is a this is a big business, and and so for me, you know, I'm recently started Untapped, um, selling maple syrup and sports nutrition. I mean, you are you are sort of a beacon. You are what we are trying to become. Um, I mean, tell me about where this where the idea came from and and how it's taken so quickly. Yeah, so uh, you know, my business partner and I, Amanda, we grew up. South of Boston, both in big families, both, uh, you know, active, you know, young kids and we're best friends through high school, best friends through college. And we came back. Um, she had just gotten back from college. I had dropped out to start another, uh, startup business and we were kind of kicking around Boston. And, you know, I'd had the entrepreneurial bug and she was in the food business. Her dad was a food broker and, um, you know, just being best friends and living together. We looked around and <clears throat> having been athletes, I think, you know, 2007, 2008, the second wave of this food, you know, revolution was kind of happening in the nineties. You had some food brands popping up like Annie's and Nantucket Nectars and things like that. were kind of bringing this more organic and natural, uh, food to the grocery aisle. But in 2008, it was still very much, if you wanted to eat healthy, not every option tasted great. And for us, we looked at the growth of brands like Chobani and Faye and what they had done to disrupt the American yogurt category in the sense of they just kind of wiped out these watered down sugary, uh, you know, items and they'd come in with this new nutritious, but great tasting option, which was Greek yogurt. And we looked at that offering, uh, and thought that, well, there really hasn't been a brand in frozen desserts that has disrupted it like Ben and Jerry's had done in the eighties and nineties. And we very much thought that we could bring that kind of new wave of energy, uh, with, you know, great ingredients, but also most importantly, great taste. So we launched Yasso 2011, uh, very simple, came out with strawberry, blueberry and raspberry flavors. Admittedly, probably had too little calories, only 70 calories, didn't <laughs> taste that great, um, which was a big part of our growth story. Moving on was when we, you know, like all brands, like all people, we were continuing to evolve. And in 2013, we came out of the gates, had some really good success. We're starting to sell into club channels um, around the country and picked up conventional retail. Was doing really well, um, but looked at it and thought, okay, well, maybe this could actually taste even better. And at that point, that was a huge inflection point for us. We decided to take the original formulas of 70 calories, which were those fruit-based flavors like Greek yogurt. And that's where we really kind of honed in and thought, if we are going to be the next Ben and Jerry's and we're going to load this with, you know, fun, exciting inclusions like chocolate chips and cookie doughs and caramel swirls, then we should start acting more like a dessert brand than a better-for-you uh, dessert alternative. And that's where we try to combine the best of both worlds in the sense that, you know, we wanted to have something you could have every day. So where we landed on was about a hundred calories, five grams of protein, natural ingredients. Greek yogurt was our kind of secret sauce that made it all come together. And then, you know, most importantly, just delivered on taste with flavors that the American consumer really knew and expected, uh, but ones that they were probably just having once a week or on special occasions like chocolate chip cookie dough. So we like to say we didn't really change the world in the flavors we launched. We just changed it in the sense that we brought people the ones they were used to in a, in a way that they could, they could have every day. And the bicycle is the tie that binds that brought us together because it was the, oh, probably 2013 Best Buddies Challenge. I was back in the States uh, invited to do that. It's a ride from Boston down to Hyannis. So you're basically riding the, uh, the bicep that is Cape Cod. Get down to the finish, play a little toss with my buddy, uh, Tom Brady. He's a VIP on the ride. He doesn't do the ride anymore, but he's there. And, uh, and then there's the Yasso food truck. And that was my first introduction to the product. It was, it was, you know, just rode a hundred and some odd miles. I'm looking for something to quench my appetite, to quench my thirst. So I probably grab it a beer and like, there's the Yasso food truck. First time I've seen it get handed 
well, at first one, but then I think I had four or five. Yasso freaking delicious Greek frozen yogurt on a stick. I mean, the, the, the stuff is delicious. So you have found that great Venn diagram of something that you can, can consider healthy yet still uh, a des- delicious dessert product. We, this is the linking part of the question. We at Untapped have been doing a lot of expos, a lot of uh, summer events, much like you guys doing Best Buddies. You have a cool food truck. I mean, was that always... Was that part of the plan? Is like as you're 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 gaining uh, saturation in the market, as you're gaining uh, wherewithal and, and people figuring out about it. Like, yeah, how do you how do you teach people about Yasso? I suppose is the question. Yeah, that's always really been our bread and butter. I, uh, from day one, Amanda and I we joke our first flavor was actually lemon flavor because it was a broken down ice cream truck that never actually ran that we bought. So oh. <laughs> we uh, we well still played. keep we still keep it around. Um, but really, from day one. Uh, the first things we did outside of the actual grocery store where we might have been, you know, running on promotional deal to kind of give people an incentive on a price structure to try the product was when we were running those type of overlays in store, we would overlay it with event sampling. And the thought there is that for food brands, definitely ones that are up and coming, if you're going to ask people to you know spend their hard-earned money, um, the best way to convince them why they should purchase you is to really give them a free taste and give them a free sample. And that's been our bread and butter since we met you really two years prior to that, 2011. We started with the Falmouth Road Race. It's still our biggest event every August. It's coming up this weekend uh, back on Cape Cod like Best Buddies. And then we started to build it out and we added Best Buddies. We added the Pan Mass Challenge and we've added events all around the country. Um, and the thought there is we just roll up with our trucks and unload, you know, it can be 500 samples, it could be 12,000 samples. And it's a way for us to engage with the consumer, educate the consumer, give away free samples, and most importantly, just create a memorable experience. Um, You know, that I feel like Yasso and other food brands that have become entrepreneurial and have launched in the past 10 years have just done that better and more effective and created that emotional connection with the consumer that the big food companies haven't. Um, And that's been a huge benefit and asset for us is anytime we can get out on the streets and talk to consumers or existing fans and show them new innovation and give them a free sample, we try to do it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, you and I struck up a conversation early on and, and, you know, with the King Challenge up in New Hampshire, same story. Like you, you took the initiative to say, hey, we want Yasso at, at your event. And yeah, it's been a huge success. Uh, very popular. Your sunglasses are also very popular, <laughs> I should point out. We love our swag. Yes. Everybody likes it. Um, so then take a whole handful of steps back. You are one of six? Uh, one of five. One of five. Uh, one of five kids. I mean, you know, you're the youngest. You've mentioned that as a result of that being sort of a tiny bit of a, you, you had said black sheep, not my term. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it made you be a little bit more entrepreneurial. entrepreneurial. Uh, you got to like, you know, create your own way. You said you, what, you dropped out of college? Like... And now you're you're leading this very successful company. Tell me about life growing up as one of five. I mean, that's yeah, was, a little bit atypical right there. <laughs> it is, but it was probably the best thing I've ever experienced in terms of uh, just, you know, growing as a person. So one of five, I was actually the fourth. So uh, not the youngest. Uh, uh, that's my little sister, Jessie, but she's only lefty, which is really interesting. The rest of us are right-handed. <laughs> um, but yeah, the black sheep in the sense of, I just think that, you know, I just took a different path than my siblings. Two of my siblings went to West Point, uh, so pretty opposite than a dropout entrepreneur, um, which was always kind of exciting to kind of have that polar opposite effect. But, you know, we're very tight. Uh, we all love each other. And when I went off to college in high school, I was definitely kind of 
had my own ways about me, which I think drove my parents a little nuts at times, but <clears throat> went off to college um, at American University on a track scholarship. And after a year, I just, you know, had this burning feeling that I don't know if this is something I wanted to do for, for four years um, in terms of commit to that. I just felt that there was something else out there that was kind of that I wanted to tackle. So I moved back to Boston, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And I uh, had a friend in the construction industry of all places. And I took a day job with him. And at nights, that was the rule my parents had at the time. You, you can drop out of America and give up the scholarship, but you have to be in some form of school to kind of keep it going. So I take night classes at Wentworth and was just starting to learn kind of construction management, project management. And in the f- course of being there, um, a buddy and I at the age of 21, we just had experienced the loss of a friend. We were down on Cape Cod for a weekend and we were both like, man, I can't sit at a desk my whole life. I just can't do it. Uh, and it was something that was burning in both of us. And so we thought what better product to launch and build a company around than inflatable beer pong table. So we, uh, <laughs> I definitely wanted to get to that. Yeah. We, yeah. we launched the brand poolside pong. We were 21. It was the first inflatable beer pong table. Um, and it was fun, man. It was, you know, an experience the kind of, if you're going to learn the, ABCs of entrepreneurial, you know, in small business, um, what better way to do it than hanging out in pools and drinking beer and learning how to, you know, throw these parties and do that. But, um, on the series, are you a good beer pong Beirut player? I was probably better on land than I was in the pool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you kind of lose the bounce effect on the cheat, you know, the trick shot there in in the pool, but poolside pong, I encourage you all to look this thing up because I did. Um, and you're like, wow, yeah, it's a miracle this thing had not been invented prior to this. Uh, <laughs> it is every college kid's dream. Yeah, it was anyway, fun. Go on, I apologize. No, no, it it was. And uh, so what we did is we we came up with the idea, and then we went to Shanghai and found a um, engineer here in the States, actually based out of Texas, that we developed the table, knew that it would have the proper grommets, the proper cup holes, proper size. You know, people are serious about their beer pong. We want to be regulation size. (laughs) We got it, um, you know, engineered and designed and then went to a factory in Shanghai that was pretty much a manufacturer of all sorts of inflatable pool toys and air mattresses and things like that. And we designed it. um, And then, you know, we worked with a designer here in the States from a branding perspective and came up with a logo. Um, and in the course of this beginning journey, you started to learn a lot about supply chain. I had learned how to form a company, an LLC, started talking to lawyers, set up a bank account, you know, at nights um, when we weren't shipping out orders and doing in, you know, this is 2005, 2006, the early days is days of social media and Facebook and just learning how to talk to a consumer that might have had some fan love or had a question or needed a particular thing fulfilled on like an overnight ship or just a general complaint if we had messed something up. So you learn some kind of skills there. Um, and then, you know, we started to grow and we just learned more about uh, media, marketing. We were fortunate we picked up three big... Uh, customers, uh, Spencer Gifts, Urban Outfitters, iParty, and then got some good media running the show back in the day. It was a million dollar idea with Donnie Deutsch on CNBC. So we kind (laughs) of learned how to do that, which was terrifying. I remember it was a 60 second elevator pitch and I practiced like literally in front of my mirror in my bathroom in Boston uh, the night before and stayed up and then just went on the show the next day and uh, did it and we won and it was fun. And, you know, I think that right there, I'd already taken the leap to kind of drop out and uh, roll with it. And I think uh, it was exciting. You know, 21, you're doing this product that was ridiculous to even launch. And the fact that we were able to kind of create all these fun memories and build kind of an identity for myself um, really partly its way into when 
Amanda and I, she actually used to help fulfill poolside orders. Uh, it was all hands-on wow. effort. We were all like broke 22-year-old kids. We'd I'd invite a bunch of friends over, have some pizza and some beers at the apartment, and then we'd pack up orders. And she was around for that. She'd help us all the time. And it was through those conversations, just our friendships and frankly, kindergarten, just ongoing conversation of, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then that's when we started talking about Yasso. So I came into it kind of with that experience of having done poolside, you know, the branding, the marketing, just the general organization of kind of setting up a company. And then she came in with a skill set of having grown up in the food industry. Her dad was a broker, knew the sales channels with customers. And I think, you know, the results have kind of proved themselves, but we were, we complemented each other very nicely, uh, in terms of our own weaknesses and our own strengths. And we've been able to create Yasso over the past, you know, eight or nine years. Yeah. I definitely wanted to talk about the, the element of a partnership. And, uh, I mean, you said the idea of poolside pong was with a partner, correct? Yeah. So a- poolside was with a partner. Yep. Um, and then Yasso was with Amanda. Okay. And yeah, yeah I mean, great story there, Amanda best friend since kindergarten, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you hit the right, her connections to the food world through her father, yours with already having this entrepreneurial startup from a young age. Um, I mean, were you sort of in a way you said you talked about, you know, the, the Annie's and the, uh, you know, people paying attention to what they're eating a little bit more, but was it throwing a dart at the wall? Uh, I mean, you could have picked organic pizza. You could have picked a variety of things. What like, I'm taking this in two directions. One, I want to talk about the partnership. Two, I want to talk about how you ended up, you know, zeroing in on Greek frozen yogurt. Uh, let's go with the former. So partnership. Where do each of your talents lie now? What does your day-to-day look like? What does Amanda's day-to-day look like? Yeah, so day-to-day now is still heavily focused on the branding, marketing, um, and then finance aspects of just the organization in terms of investor relations and things of that nature. Uh, and Amanda has been sales and operations. Um, definitely more uh, skilled in that department um, in terms of just her prior experience within the brokerage industry. And then, Was she working with her father? Yeah, she worked for her dad for a year and had the similar kind of thing that I had prior to poolside, I think we both had this itch of why well, I don't really want to work for someone else yeah. in a very respectful way. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. It was just taking the jump that we both did to do Yasso um, was something, a commonality we had in terms of there's got to be something better um, type attitude about it. But she um, today, you know, has built up the sales team and then the operations and operations in our industry is um, we outsource our manufacturing. So managing the relationship with our co-mans, which means the people that actually make our product. We build our formulas, you know, pick our ingredients and do all that, but we don't actually own or run the machinery. So she essentially gets the product made and then gets it to the point and then sells it in. Um, for the partnership in general, it's unique, right? Because it wasn't like we were 22 and sitting at a bar and had never known each other and said, hey, let's go launch a business together. We had literally known each other's our whole entire life, met in kindergarten, best friends, um, even in high school, you know, the group of girls, group of guys, like it was the two of us that were really close. And uh, that has been probably one of the most rewarding experiences in my life to have a best friend like that and then launch a business with them and then have it get to this point, you know, near a hundred million dollar brand and to still be best friends, I think is unique. I think most people yeah. probably wouldn't <laughs> have that story. And we, we know that we've seen other situations go the opposite direction. I think it's just something that we'd never let anything get in the way of that. And it's become a joy to go to work every day and build Yasso. And I think it, on the flip side of that, it's probably really interesting for the employees to come in and be like, oh, these two founders are best friends. They've known each other. They just, they understand the trust we have in one another and the respect we have for one another. And I think it's created um, 
from myself looking in at, at the culture we've built, I think it is a culture rooted in friendship and trust and respect for one another. And the partnership's interesting because I think as you mature, you just realize, you know, you can be good at a few things really, really well. Uh, there's other things that you just might never be the best at. And you have a partner that can offset you in that. And then you can do that for them as well. It creates a pretty dynamic team. And I think you see that in athletics, you see that in business, you see that in community. Um, but I think you have to get to the maturity level of going into a partnership, knowing that that's what it is. You need to respect one another. And, uh, you know, I think given our history and how long we've known each other is kind of natural for us. Yeah. Uh, but I could understand how partnerships, um, in any aspect of life can be, uh, can, can be challenging for some. Sure. Yeah. The, let's bring it back to me here for a second. Uh, <laughs> the, the founding of untapped is similar in that, um, we have partners, uh, and, and we, we, play to our strengths. Um, you know, I, I know marketing fairly well. And so, you know, I'd go after a lot of the marketing. The production is, uh, handled by the Cochran's who are the family with the maple syrup business beforehand, because they knew how to produce maple syrup. They knew how to ship maple syrup. They knew how to, you know, fulfill orders, all sorts of things that I have no idea how to do while I'm racing my bike. What the big difference between the two of your story and our story is ours was sort of a fly by night operation. I was trying to sell maple syrup for a while. Um, figuring out how to put it in packets. No one understood the idea. And then it was a mutual friend who was also a partner in the company who introduced me to the Cochran's. They said, hey, let's put maple syrup in this packet. You guys are athletes. You guys get it. Ted gets it. Let's let's jump into it. So point being, yeah, you have no idea where a partnership's going to go from the early phases. And then you hope it fulfills uh, something. And I'm, I'm ecstatic with the, the direction Untapped is going with the partnerships and how we do you know, work to our strengths. It's a totally different story when you know somebody from the age of three to be able to build a company around that. Like, yeah, but you guys are doing a killer job and Tap's a great brand. We talked about this in the ride, super authentic, which is, I think, really important right now in our space, uh, in the food industry in general, but well, very much appreciated. We'll put some on tap and some Greek frozen yogurt someday. Yeah, we can do that. Maple's uh, maple's trending right now. And oh God, maple's huge. It's, it you go to the food, food shows. It's massive. Yeah. Um, Another thing you're talking about is, is, you know, your employees, you have what, 30 employees or so. Yeah. Close to 30 now. Um, and what they see when they go into the office and they see this, this ethos built on, you know, best friends since kindergarten, you've created the Yasso game on foundation. You have. Yep. Uh, I mean, talk about the ethos of athletics through the company and, and you know, what, what do your employees see going into the office every day? Yeah. So game on's our new 501c3 foundation that we launched, uh, earlier this year. Uh, so like I said, I went to American. I was a miler, track runner throughout, uh, you know, most junior high and high school. And Amanda was a killer soccer player, went on to Providence College and then played semi-pro in Australia for a year before moving back to the States. And athletics forever has just been a massive part of who we are. We were on the bike last week together. Uh, her and I rode the Pan Mass Challenge back in Mass. And I just talked to Billy Starr. He's a good friend. And that organization is kind of the perfect combination of what we look to partner with and do with our free time. It's really just athletics, but also causes that give back to a greater good. So the Pan Mass is cancer. And we've been inspired by those organizations that we've partnered with over the year. And the thought was, well, let's just launch our own charitable organization that can give back to the cause that has probably built us up, uh, 
the most, which is just our involvement in athletics. So Game On Foundation is built to cultivate the inner health rebel in everyone. And the goal is just to keep people moving of all ages. So we're starting out here in the first year. Uh, we're going to partner with some organizations this year in the Boston area to give uh, sporting equipment and resources to schools and communities that otherwise are kind of short on funding. And then we're going to grow it from there pretty organically and um, you know see opportunities that we think we can make an impact on and just see where it goes. But the whole goal is just you know, it's not just kids, it's not just adults, it's people of all ages and just get them moving, but do it in a very also way where it's fun, it's enjoyable. Um, we've been out all summer with our sampling trucks, the same ones that go to the Ted King Challenge and we'll go to corporate uh, stops. We did a great event with New Balance and a few other large corporations uh, in Massachusetts and New England this year. Um, and what we do is we roll up our trucks. We have these massive inflatable. So I got back in the inflatable game. I now have inflatable obstacle courses oh, that perfect. are branded Yasso. No beer. Perfect. or They don't float on water, but they're inflatable. And we'll bring them to the Ted King Challenge in October. And uh, Looking forward to it already. The, the idea there is just to really have almost an adult recess in these corporate settings. It's great for the employer because they can give this kind of you know, benefit, employee benefit to their, to their work crew and the workers get something that's just different than an ice cream truck showing up. They roll outside, they play knockout, you know, against like, you know, their friend in accounting, have a little competitive competition. They do the inflatable race. We have a QB toss, uh, just all sorts of fun, different games that are just so ridiculous that when they leave, they end up talking about the experiences. And of course they get a free Yasso bar and we hope they become a friend or a fan of the brand. But the end goal really from a game on perspective is really just, can we spark that, you know, thing that gets them thinking, well, that was fun yesterday. Maybe I should, you know, do 10 push-ups today, or maybe I should go try that 5k at the end of August or call my friend and go for a bike ride because I had so much fun, you know, sweating it out a little bit in, you know, at work. And that's kind of the, the goal we're doing with those sampling initiatives. And, you know, we have pretty big ambitions of where we're going to take it. But, um, right now it's just starting at a pretty local level in Massachusetts. Brilliant. Um, along those lines, you talked about early on in the, in the, advent of the company, how, how you wanted to be a disruptor and you wanted to, you know, fight the big brands and, and it takes that hands-on approach being there at something like these game on foundation initiatives, um, as much as it does, you know, just allowing the, the consumer, the customer to go home and remember the name, remember the brand, remember how freaking delicious it was, so on and so forth. So now, you know, fast forward to the present where you do have to fight Big business, big industry, the, the, who knows, the Nestle's, the crafts, the mm -hmm. whoever it is, how do you, pun intended, how do you keep churning through that? How do you remain a disruptor we, while keeping your ethos of, yeah, you're, you're, you're the punky upstart who wants to keep, you know, fighting a good fight. Mm -hmm. Innovation, really, it's kind of for us. Um, we're never going to have the the dollars uh, from a marketing perspective, or frankly, just in store resources to make sure we're always on shelf or presented nicely with like the big guys do have, and that's a a challenge and a fight we fight every day, especially in our category, um, where shelf space is limited in the sense it needs electrical outlet and it needs yes. a freezer. Yes. Um, so there's only a limited amount of space. So we always joke that you know. We're jealous of anyone that sells potato chips because you can literally put bags of potato chips anywhere in a grocery store. For Yasso and anyone else in Frozen, it is a challenge. And in that, you are going up against um, the Goliaths. And we have a large poster in our office that just says David versus Goliath. And it's Yasso on the left and it's every other dessert brand on the right. And that's kind of the ethos that we've always had, you know. Yeah, Amanda and I are best friends. We are friendly, but we are also super competitive. And I think that stems from our days in athletics and that's no different than when we decided to launch Yasso and through the years, you know, we launched it in age of 
think we were 23 when we launched and that makes you grow up really, really fast. And any entrepreneur would relate to this is when you decide to launch a brand, you're doing it in a very public way and you kind of hit the clock button in the sense of, all right, it's ticking and people are looking to see if you guys are growing, if you're innovating, if you're doing things in the community or what it may be. And to do that at 23 and then you start to add responsibilities like payroll and people you know, are relying on you to show up every day and continue to disrupt what it is you said you're going to do so the business can grow and you can add um, you know, growth to that. It, it does at an early age make you grow up really fast and you know, excel your maturity otherwise because you're kind of in charge of whether the thing's going to make it or not. Um, so I think that anxiety or paranoia of are we innovating fast enough has always been a fuel of our growth in the sense of, you know, we always wanted to come out with the best to make sure we stay on shelf because, you know, behind the scenes, we knew of all those responsibilities. We knew that people were relying on us for their, whether it's a paycheck or a family or just to be part of the thing that we were building. And I think the thing that it always kind of progressed us forward was innovation, not always in the sense of flavors and formulas, but, you know, packaging design or go to market strategy or a marketing campaign or, you know, a particular promotion we might have on, you know, in store to kind of beat out the big guys uh, during the heavy, you know, ice cream season, things of all nature. Innovation isn't always just about formula and taste, although that's probably like, you know, 90% of it for a food product, but there's also very other Tone innovative, um, there's also other innovative ways that a company has to be nimble um, in that, you know, it was no different than it was eight years ago. We're definitely at a different state now in terms of our growth, and we're very fortunate for that. But we're kind of looking forward to what does the next, you know, eight years look like? And I think innovation, you're going to see a lot of fun and exciting stuff. And frankly, the ones who aren't innovating and creating, you know, different consumer need states or just improving their existing uh, portfolio of products are the ones that are going to slowly, you know, get out of the market. Mm-hmm. Well, I was the Lucky beneficiary, uh, maybe a month before moving from California back to the East Coast to receive a sizable, colorful, beautifully well-kept box loaded with, what do you call it? Dry ice. I was going to say frozen ice. Dry <laughs> ice and a, Dangerous a stuff. ton, exactly, a ton of uh, new pints. That was a disrupting state. I mean, that was when you were launching the pints. They mm. were out of this world delicious. Uh, so... Yes, keep keep churning out the good stuff. Yes, that pun is intended. <laughs> um, you are a bike rider. You ride quite fast. We had a wonderful ride this morning. You recently came back from Europe. Yeah. Um, which basically you did you did a where's where of where I would ride a bike. Well, you hit Portugal, you hit Central Italy, Chianti, and then went up to the Dolomites. Correct. Dynamite. What was, was your favorite? That's a tough question. Like, what's your favorite flavor? Yeah, they were, uh, Portugal was amazing. Um, I was there with my wife, Liz, and a little vacation and got out in the bike a little bit. We, um, we missed each other by a week, right? Yeah. In the exact same hotel? Exact same hotel. I saw the um, Ngamba truck as I got there. Yeah. I remember texting you, but <laughs> Portugal was nice. It would have been nice. To, uh, so Liz doesn't ride, so I was out kind of riding by myself. Um, that would have been fun with a group of people, um, but I enjoyed it. Tuscany was it blew me away. I didn't think I'd be as impressed, but like we said on the ride today, a lot more gravel than I expected, which was great. We met a great um, guy over there that kind of showed us around, me and my buddies. Um, so that was fantastic. Uh, I loved every day there. The Dolomites were something altogether different, just being up in the mountains and having that type of riding. Um, that really kind of tested your resolve every day. There was one day we just did a pretty epic ride. It was like 100 miles, I think 17,000 of vert. Holy moly. Yeah, I remember bonking at mile 92 and it was me and three buddies and the three of us were like, well, we got to get to a hundred. Cause that's kind of the mentality, at least on the East coast. I was riding with a bunch of guys from, um, 
your neck of the woods where you were, which was, uh, you know, Northern Cal. And mm-hmm. what I realized with East and West Coast riders, at least for myself, I'm a distance guy, right? I, I care about the miles because yeah. I can go do a hundred miles a century in, in and around Boston. I might have 1200 feet of vert. So sure. I don't really talk in vert. My buddies in Northern Cal don't care about the miles. They want to talk in vert. So we had this yeah. day in the Dolomites where it was like kind of the day of the trip, right? This is the day we're going to go big. Queen stage of vacation. It's, exactly. And I'm arguing the whole time, well, we got to do a century, right? And they're like, well, we got to do the vert. So what we ended up with was just this lunatic day of, a hundred miles and 17,000 feet of vert. And it would we, take you like three weeks of riding nonstop throughout new England to hit 17. I, I think so. Yeah. It was, okay. abs- it was an adult dose as they say. Not new England, but yeah, greater Boston. It's folks, it's pretty pancake flat all around that seacoast area. It, you get plenty of hills up in the greens and the white mountains, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was okay. wild. So that was a good part, but I remember the, the four of us just bonked at mile 92 and we went into this bar in Italy and just got four uh, Cokes. I know it's a healthy food podcast, but hey, sometimes you just need it. And uh, that carried us home. But yeah, that was an epic day. And just uh, one of those days you kind of always remember on a bike. So something that the, the Portuguese folks who are largely former retired pro tour racers work with in Gamba, um, you know, they, they teach you the, the real ways of the culture, the professional cycling side of things. And I learned the diesel which is something you're going to want to remember next time you go back to Europe. Okay. Similarly, I'm not a big fan of Coke, except for whatever reason, on a really long, hot day in uh, in the saddle, a Coke is one of the most delicious things you can have. A diesel is the combination of half Coke, and then when you go into these European bars, you don't have 17 types of IPA from, to choose from. You have beer. There's mm-hmm. one kind of beer. So you say, one beer, one Coke, and then you mix them 50-50. It's absolutely dynamite. Largely, you're going to want to do this later in the ride. It's not a setting out first thing <laughs> on going into a, a six-hour day, but I'm not kidding. And similar story, like, yeah, I want an IPA. IPA doesn't really exist over in Europe, and I don't really like the European lagers, but for whatever reason. Take I'll that, try it. Take that tip. You're Maybe gonna, I'll try it this week in Stowe. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. <laughs> Where we're loaded with, like, the double IPAs. <laughs> um, yeah, you've also... Well, okay, for one... Join us on any Ngamba trip because I'm lucky enough to go on a whole lot of them. We got uh, Catalonia coming up this fall. I'm largely doing these cool California trips throughout the spring. One of these advantages of doing a podcast here in the park is we have four little children staring at us. Hi, guys. Hey, guys. You want to say hi? Hi. I want to say hi. 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 All right. You guys nailed it. Uh, no. Do you know my name? I am Ted King. Ted King. He's the king. And you were just on the Ted King podcast. Bye, guys. Thanks See for you, buddy. Thanks for talking. <laughs> that was amazing. It's the next generation. Exactly. Again, the perks of this location are out of this world. This is so cool. Well, we got, I mean, we got 20 cars here of people who are rolling in to go rip around the park, go for a walk. It's a cool town, man. I'm a fan. Okay. Speaking of cool towns, you've also picked my brain on uh, coming out to to Marin because you are a customer of the good folks at Above Category, Sausalito. Chad. Chad and the boys and the gal, Clara. Uh, great shop. How much riding do you do out there? Like when you're out, do you make sure you, you hit up Tam? Cause unfortunately 
ships at night. We never we never went for a ride out there. I know. So I haven't done a ton of riding out there. My brother lives in Sausalito. My brother Scott, he got me into cycling. He's uh, eight years older than me, so he's an old guy. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've ridden out there with him. Uh, he's got a couple bikes. So I've always borrowed his, but I got to figure out a way to get out there and do a longer weekend trip. Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I rode obviously with uh, where I picked up my bike from Chad and it's just a great area. It is. It's magnificent. It's um, what I really like about it is you're close to one of the biggest metropolitan areas in the country in San Francisco. You get over the bridge, which is a terrible in a in a minor shit show to deal with the you know the tourists and so on and so forth. However, it's also iconic to be able to ride the Golden Gate Bridge and be like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm lucky enough to do this, whereas mm-hmm. people are doing it for vacation. And then furthermore, get up on Mount Tam, which is you know this hill that that peaks up from Sausalito from Mill Valley and you can go an hour or more on end without seeing a single car, which is just sort of mind boggling to me when you're close to so many people, especially so many outdoorsy folks from San Francisco and they're just apparently not there. The riding out there is out of this world. So a few of the guys I did, uh, the Italy trip with live out there Mm -hmm. and they kept talking about Tam, Tam, but then they talked a lot about Hawk Hill Yes. So is that legit? So Hawk Hill is very legit. Hawk Hill is the first hill you'll hit after you go from San Francisco north over the Golden Gate Bridge, take an immediate left. So from San Francisco, you can be on Hawk Hill in eight minutes. Cool. If you continue on that that stretch of of topography that you know punches up from the Pacific another two, three miles, that is where Tam is, Mount Tamalpais. Uh yeah. Definitely worth the trip. Uh, above category sits smack in the middle of those two. So, good spots, good spots. So, Gamba trip. When are you gonna come on one? We got Catalonia. I do a whole bunch of trips in the in the spring in California. Um, you got to do those. The coast ride is out of this world. Okay, it's three days in in uh, sort of late January. They go from. San Francisco to, to Los Angeles, about like 125 that. miles a day. So if you need to like bust out of that that New England rut in January, come do a quick 21 hour three day span. All right, sign me up. Let's do that one. Um, what's on your bucket list? Where do you want to ride a bike? Coming off Italy, definitely caught the bug of traveling a little bit. There's definitely some rides I want to do here in the U.S. Pacific Northwest. Um, sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, I heard good things about Spain. I didn't get to do that. I know you used to live there for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever ridden in Japan? I've never ridden in Japan. I really want to. Yeah. I want to ski in Japan and ride a bike in Japan, and I think I'll probably ride a bike first. I'd say that's my bucket list. Um, well, I'm with you. Um, and hopefully, well, heck, if I'm with you, let's just do it. Let's plan it. 2020, when do you want to do it? Let's do it. All right. Do you have any left that you haven't done? I know you travel a little I, bit. A that's little a great bit. question. Where do I want to ride? <laughs> uh, I do often say Japan for that. The question, where do I want to ride? Um, okay. Well, what I often will end with is the trifecta. Like, what's the one place you want to ride? What is the play, favorite place you have ridden? And who is one person in this world, living or otherwise, who you'd like to ride with? <sighs> we here at the King of the Ride podcast ask the hard-hitting questions. That's That's a tough one. All right. I'll say... Where do I want to ride Japan? Mm-hmm. Favorite place I've ridden? I'd say I got to go with the Dolomites 
and who would I want to ride with? I don't know if Bruce Springsteen rides a bike, but I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll roll with Bruce for a little nice. bit. The boss. Good answer. Um, well, again, one of the perks of being in the park is people have to tend to the park. And <laughs> we have a weed eater approaching us that he's been he's been approaching from our 6 o'clock for about 20 minutes. I feel like we're going to get weed eaten here shortly. Drew Harrington, um, got anything else for me? Nah, it's a pleasure, man. This has been a, a distinct pleasure. I wish you an amazing week. Have an amazing time here in, in Vermont. I'm sorry I have to bid you farewell. Uh, come back anytime. Let's Hello. plan a trip to Japan. You got it. I'll see you this fall at King Challenge. And boom, that's it. Thanks, Thanks for, for everything. Time. Thanks for everything you do for the sport, Ted. Thank you. Thank you, Drew.